trying to find any way at all of giving Metrovias, no, hang on, it's not Metrovias anymore, is it? Yeah, so super, actually, super people, uh, money. Welcome to Episode 458 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly and I have just had to almost not make it here because the bloody travel card recharging machines at my Sulte station don't accept 1,000 peso notes. In spite of the fact that the 1,000 peso note has been in circulation for five and a half years, mm. they still only accept five Next year, I'm sure, sir. Next year. And I didn't have any in my wallet. Unfortunately, I was just about able to get here and then charge it up at Dan's local station. Just jump the turnstile like everyone else. But I, well, the people were standing right there, or I'd just yeah, been yeah, right. arguing with about not being able to charge it. But um, anyway, I was annoyed about it that I just wanted to get that off my chest early on. I'm joined by Dan, as you've heard. Hello. And Andres. Hello, Um And another funny and slightly frustrating thing that has happened to me in the last week is that for some reason, between Thursday last week and this afternoon while I was watching the Man United game, SofaScore decided not to ping me any updates on my phone, oh. like any of the notifications for the clubs and leagues that I follow, which means that I spent most of last weekend just going about my day and not really being aware of what was going on in the league, because normally it sends me a notification saying, this match starts in 30 minutes, who do you think is going to win? And if I'm at home, I'll go, oh right, I'll watch that, or, or not. Um, but at the weekend I had no reminders at all that stuff was going on so I have not watched many of the following matches but the results of them were Colón 2, Vélez 1 Arsenal 2, Union 1 Lanús 2, Sarmiento 1 Are you spotting a pattern? Well, it's about to be broken because Central Córdoba 0, Godoy Cruz 2 Belgrano 1, Newells 1, San Lorenzo 1, Platense 0. Sorry, I misread that. Belgrano 1, Newells 0, San Lorenzo 1, Platense 0. Rosario Central 2, Boca 2, Instituto 1, Banfield 1, Estudiantes 1, Tacheres 0, River 2, Independiente 0. So no surprise, Santi's not here again now. Mm-hmm. Barracas Central 0, Defensa y Justicia 2. Racing 1, Atletico Tucumán 3. Great game. Argentinos 2, Gimnasia 4. And Tigre 1, Huracán 0. And currently underway, as we record, we're about 20-ish minutes into these two. I think, actually, we're 18 minutes into Sarmiento Godoy Cruz, Mm -hmm. which has just gone 1-0, and we are apparently 15 minutes in. It says here... Sarmiento is... To Platense versus Estudiantes, in which Estudiantes are currently leading 1-0. Sort of Platense derby, I guess. Yeah. In a weird roundabout kind of way. Not the classical Platense, but if we're being a bit silly, then possibly. Um, Similar to when it's River against Platense. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, matches that I caught, I watched the River game, and I watched... uh, bit of the Boca game, I think. I seem to remember seeing the Central had gone 1-0 up somehow, even though my phone wasn't telling me what was going on. 
there was a very, very late equaliser in that Boca game, and it was for Boca. Uh, Central took the lead about halfway through the first half through Lautaro Giacconi. The second half, Martin Pachero scored an equaliser for Boca, but very shortly afterwards, Alejo Belis restored Central's lead, and Boca got a second equaliser through Jorge Figal, 10 minutes into stoppage time. In the 100th minute, yes. I'm hoping that one or both of you saw this match and can tell me a little bit more about what actually Looks happened. like they have to score uh, only when there is 10 minutes or so <laughs> of the aggregate agri- time. Extra time. Yeah. It was a very entertaining game, I must say. A uh, little bit of a game of two halves, I think. Central were fantastic in the first half. Really put Boca against the ropes and um, a beautiful goal from Lautaro Giacconi. Uh, kind of cutting from from the right wing, very Aryan Robin style, skinned Valentin Barco, um, Boca's very uh, highly regarded young left back, and smash one into the roof of the net. Um, and then Boca came back hard in in the second half, got uh, very briefly level through Pachero. Uh Alejo Velis then bundled one in. I think just before that as well, Central could have gone. Well, they had the chance, potentially, to go 2-1 up when Giacconi appeared to have won a penalty after forcing a handball. says here that that's one, it was 1-0 yes. quite early in the season. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Before Pacheco's equaliser, yeah. they could have gone 2 Sorry, they could have gone 2-0 up. That's what I was angling for. Um, it wasn't really a penalty, um, so I think VAR made the correct decision there. But it was significant, because that was the first of a series of events which made the second half seemingly endless. Um... The second of which came after, shortly after, I think, um, Velis put Central 2-1 up when um, Miguel Ángel Russo, who is not the Boca coach anymore, um, he is the Central coach, of course, um, completely lost his shit over a substitution argument. Um, these two were trying to explain it to me a little bit before we started recording. It was He had a window to make the subs. He didn't make enough subs in the window. But he wanted to reopen the window to make another sub. Couldn't reopen the window. And was sent off shouting window, window, window like some demented old man. Um, then there were a couple of on-pitch scuffles, uh, which Central really shouldn't have got involved with because it just uh, served to further extend the second half. And yeah, as you mentioned, um, from that point, it almost felt inevitable that Late, late Boca equaliser, and it came from a fantastic header, I must say, from Jorge Figal, a guy that uh, Boca missed a lot in defence, I think, in recent weeks. He's been out um, through injury. Uh, didn't show much defensively this week, but came up with a very good goal. So, big, big point for a Boca, I think, after scratching that win and, and three last of- week against uh, Pereira and stemming this, um, this run of defeats in the Liga Profesional. That's three of the four four goals they scored were headers. Mm. Yeah. Yes, they were. Um, that same day, in fact, right, yeah, a few hours before that, in a match that for some reason kicked off at 11 o'clock in the morning. San Lorenzo won, right? Yeah, San Lorenzo won. And as River had done the week before, as we mentioned, uh, with pretty much the last kick of the game. I'm, I'm don't think it was literally the last kick of the game as it was in River's case the weekend before. But Rafael Perez, three minutes into stoppage time, uh, after San Lorenzo, from what I heard, uh, spent a fair bit of the game kind of 
trying to bang down the Platense door, but not being mm. very successful at actually getting shots on target. Having said that, Platense had their fair share of shots off target as well, so it was. Uh, it sounds like it was a pretty entertaining for a 1-0 with a late winner. Yeah, but. pretty one-paced, um, mm. not particularly thrilling game, uh, but San Lorenzo did what they've tended to do this year, um, which at least keeps them within kind of grasping distance of, of River, I guess, at the top. Indeed, yes. Anyway, um, if San Lorenzo, I think it's clear for them is uh, that they are not to to give a show or, or something spectacular, but only to win, score more goals than the rival. And if it's one, it's okay. It's uh, they they aren't. I mean, last year they were not like in the main actually uh, are, are now, but uh, uh, with the serious problems, if they didn't start to to get points. They would have been in the relation zone or, or, or so, and now they are, they don't think anymore about that. So that one nil is, I think, much way much more important than, yeah. than playing nice for, for, for the supporters. Indeed, yeah. And as you said, one goal more often than not for them is going to be enough to score more than their opponents. Because along with River, as we mentioned last week, they've only conceded five goals each, both having kept clean sheets last weekend uh, and the third best defence in the league is in fact but also the third place team at the moment defensive this year with eight uh, so you know percentage wise that's a whole well defensive considered 60% more goals than River or San Lorenzo so yeah San Lorenzo are doing what they need to do um, so it seems not conceding goals is important if you want to be high in the league yeah it's funny that isn't could it? you have a word with Fernando Gago and and maybe get this message across? Well, shall we discuss Fernando Gago? No, no. because the wheels are rather coming off the Gagoneta, aren't they, at the moment? Yes, yeah. I went to the game uh, on Monday, very excited. I haven't been able to, to get to a cylindro for, for a few weeks now. And almost wish I hadn't bothered. Uh, because it was just an immensely frustrating and immensely disappointing performance. Um, if you look, you know, purely via CypherScore or um, or your app of choice, it might feel might look like Racing were a little bit unlucky because they just had all of the ball, loads of shots and stuff. But it was just so inconsequential and something we've seen a lot um, from Racing this year. Kind of when teams sit back and just let them uh, let them have the ball, they've just got no way to to break through and. Um, this kind of double offensive duo of uh, Maxi Romero and Pablo Guerrero, which worked pretty well uh, midweek um, against Alcas, uh, just didn't really get a kick in the area against a very determined, very solid back five from Atletico Tucumán. Um, and it was just so kind of laboured, the build-up, um, infinite passes across the pitch, going back, going forward, going sideways, a few little interesting incursions from a player no one had a clue existed, uh, Emiliano Saliadari. Yeah, I was just looking at him and then the, the surname reminds me of Jeremy Aliadier, of uh, briefly, I don't know whether he even got some games for Arsenal. In he the played end, a couple of times, yeah. Uh, I think Saliadari may be in line for a similar future. We'll see. Um, Dribbled a couple of times down the left, but there was just no way through the defence. And as often happens in them kind of games, you know, you're banging on the door, you can't get through, you're harassing. Um, 
and on the first counter attack, you get punished, and that's exactly what happened. Um, two of the goals, at least, uh, the first and the third from Atletico, were criminal. The the third one it made me want to just tear my eyes out and throw them at the at the players. Um, you know, ridiculous soft pass conceded in the middle of the pitch, and Atletico just waltzed through what remained of uh, Racing's defence and and really killed the game off at 3-0, even though uh, Romero came back with um, with a late consolation and there was also a, a VAR disallowed goal, which I still have no idea if it was correct or not because I couldn't see anything in the stadium. If you go to Argentine Sands, you know there's no way for fans actually in the ground to know whether a VAR decision is correct or not. Mm. So that might have been okay, might not. don't really care because it doesn't make much difference. Um... And yeah, just the same thing that's been happening really uh, for the last month. There's no structure in the field, no holding man, you know, to give the defence a bit of cover, uh, which means that essentially when Brasil lose the ball and they're kind of committed, it's almost half a goal. Uh, very concerning. Um, but I'm going to look at this in a slightly more positive way because... It seemed to me that Atletico Tucumán, who are almost the worst team in Argentina, played a lot better than the champions of Ecuador. So, <laughs> does this not point to the fact that maybe this league isn't so shit? And I think we have a question along the similar line, so I won't go I further into it. We said last week as well, didn't we, that for all of Racing's poor form domestically, they'd beaten or were in the process of beating Alcas when we, while we recorded last week. Yeah, they put me and, through and the ring. Kind of, I remember to an extent, while we were recording. We, we, we'd sort of forgotten to an extent that uh, that this is a strong league by continental yeah. standards. And I mean, so. it's clear that the Libertadores now is going to be Russell's priority. They've got no chance in hell of overturning River. And um, I think over the course of this year, you know, with the Copa Liga Profesional and whatnot, they should have enough to, you know, get it together and... Um, claw their way back to close to Libertadores qualifications so it's all going to be from the Copa now but not a good way to not a good way to lose um, and they were they were benefit with the effects for the Copa Libertadores group stage because the first two games were against the, the weakest rivals mm. and of course even either home or away playing to Flamengo it's a, a lose a, a match you can lose and against New Valencia and Naucas even when against Aucas, they eh, they won because of the stupid silly on goal for from the beautiful on goal. Yes, uh, you have six out of six points, yeah. and you are at ease. So it's it's yes, but I, I agree. Yes, they will focus, of course, with, with the, the Copa Libertadores, and and eh, looks like River and San Lorenzo will decide the the title for first division, which is. Really, really surprising. Well, that's half of the time of the 2007 2008 throwback. Then. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Uh, one consolation, though, if you want, can I cool. smash a segue into that? One consolation, at least, for Racing amid a pretty dismal evening is that that result helped put Independiente second bottom because of what they also did at the weekend. And what they did at the weekend. I've read it out once already, and now I'm struggling to find it in this list of results, because there are so bloody many of them, <laughs> is, of course, now I remember why I should have remembered it, 
Lost 2-0 at... At... No, I was about to say at away, but that's not what we say, is it? No. Uh, they were away. To River. Goals from Ezequiel Barco, inevitably. The law of the X. And Miguel Ángel Borja towards the end. Um, and it was just... I mean... It could have been six. Exactly, yeah. Like We asked Santi last week whether he was at all optimistic about facing <laughs> River, and he pulled the face and said no. Um, and, you know, I don't think any of us... Uh, you know, we could all sympathise with that from, from his point of view, but it really could have... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was routine, much more routine than 2-0 with a, the second goal coming 10 minutes from time makes it sound. Andres? Yes, it's, it, we all thought it would be one-sided, and it was... Uh, the perhaps the tricky thing or the thing that uh, I, I wouldn't say that the, the, the match was under risk, but uh, to to win only one nil uh, against a much worse rival talks about your not not so accurate way of, of attacking, mm. uh, and there was a point in which you thought that they wanted to get into the net with the ball mm. and. Perhaps to, to finish the place more simple in a more simple way would have been great. As Barco did with his yes. uh, with his opener yes. from just outside the box after yes. belting it. In. A, a lot of players in the box uh, with the uh, bounces every uh, here and there, and when he uh, took it, it was a massive uh, shot that went into the angle. I think. Mm. Um, yes, perhaps that way was the best way to, to 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 score and in the second half it was of course a, a similar to a training session we would say uh, but the the problem was that they weren't so good to, to finish the place uh, they, they lot of chances they had because as you said would have uh, could have ended in five or six seconds difference yeah with a red card that was also held for river not necessary but it, they, they had it uh, silly, silly road card, and that also talks a lot about Independiente. The moment they I think are, I've had more red cards almost than anyone. They got. I think you're right. A hell yeah. of a lot, yeah. We'll have a look in a second. Um, I've just noticed some, maybe a little bit of a coincidence that since we were just talking about Racing and then we switched to River, um, Racing's next match is away to Boca uh, mm-hmm. on Saturday, uh, and then they have. Uh, the, the toughest opponent on paper in the Libertadores game, as, as we were saying. And River, something similar. Uh, they're away to Atletico Tucumán tomorrow, Friday. So today, by the time a lot of you hear this. And then they've got the toughest opponent on paper in the Libertadores group next week. They're away to Fluminense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're the Super Classic. Yeah, I mean, one, one, and then they play Boca, yeah, who Racing have obviously got now. Uh, it's like a mirror image. One, one big difference is that River have already played... Although they've played the two weaker teams in their group, they've also got one of the more difficult fixtures out of the way and that they've obviously played in La Paz already <laughs> against the strongest. Um, but, yeah. just. But they also lost that game. And you think they, they did, need to yeah. get something from Rio mm. in order to... I think they're going to qualify, but they're going to want that first place as well. Um, Indeed, yeah. And a point in Rio is going to be absolutely crucial to that. Yes, because I'm not sure... What f- I think Fluminense have played they've the strongest at home so far, haven't they? They've played... Um, the strongest, yeah, they beat them one nil. Yes, anyway. <laughs> Good grief. Um, and beat Sporting Cristal three one in Lima. Um, but the thing is, uh, I don't, I don't think Sporting, uh, 
the strongest, of course, it's the weakest, not the strongest team. But uh, I think that they won't be so easy to defeat because they have some players that are not used to playing the, the attitude, like like the Argentinian Isnaldo mm. and, and Triverio, former Racing mm. striker. Uh, so they have like this mixture between players that are that play only well only in, in attitude and others that can play in both sides in both play uh, situations. Yeah. I they have a player called John Kennedy, by the way. Yeah, I noticed him um, a few weeks ago. <laughs> Who uh, came on very early on, apparently. It was a, mm. after half an hour um, due to an injury to Marcelo for Fluminense against the strongest. There's always been a few Kennedys coming up in Brazil. And remember, one used to play for Chelsea, right? Very, very briefly. Possibly. About. Yeah. So it seems to be quite a popular moniker, and I guess it must be from... From JFK, but uh, to go the full hog and call him John as and well. go for John Kennedy, yeah. Big Fair play. Of that. Um, yes, indeed. So, but River is working, I think, smoothly. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, there are some keys or some as, uh, uh, aspects that which are I, I think are, are uh, fundamental for River to play like they are. One of them is Aliendo to to be playing along. Uh, Tuenzo Perez, something that uh, when Namichiris started, it was Enzo Perez alone in the midfield. It was a lot of yeah. space for him to cover. He's 37. 37? Uh, something like that, yeah. At least. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he was well, a veteran in the, in the 2018 World Cup, I remember. 2 mm. 0 to his two years now. And apart from that, Barco is one. Well, he scored the first goal against Independiente. And and the way he's playing right now, well, it's it looks like another player, a, a different player than he was uh, last year, and that's I think because he plays more with more freedom. Yeah. It's not like I I think it's, I I I said this last episode, and well, and Gonzalo Pires is Franco Baresi, also compared <laughs> to the yeah. Gonzalo Pires uh, of last year. So I three things. Well, Enzo Diaz also. Is, uh, he's playing so well that made uh, Casco to, to, to play in a, a right back who is playing decently and we don't uh, remember Robert Rojas anymore. And while well, Herrera, I think he's third in first place if you had to put it, the, like the ranking between mm. the, the, the potential right backs. And well, uh, there are things like little things that made to the whole team that are. are Working like a like a clock. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's. I just wonder this this might be a topic we we should go into in a bit more detail later on in the season, and um, when we know you know whether River can keep this form up. But um, I just wonder whether to an extent there might be some because because there were lots of questions when Martin Demichelis came in about you know he's not managed for the the first team of a club um, before he was doing all right at Bayern too, but you know not brilliantly. Um, and whether he was the right person to, to replace Gachardo and, and in hindsight you start to wonder with some of these improvements individually from one year to the next whether maybe Gachardo was just a little bit stale or the fact that they knew he was leaving at the end of the year meant that a lot of players kind of relaxed a little bit on, for, under him or something um, and that just the, the freshening up that you have to do as a football manager of you know, changing the squad 
uh, from time to time and keeping keeping things rotated so that people are kept on their toes. Maybe it's a good thing to have done that with the manager as well. Um, because not not that <laughs> Gashano suddenly become a bad manager, but his last year at River was his least successful. So. When you know that the the, the 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 era is going to come to an end, perhaps you you unconsciously yes relax a bit and for in the other hand when there is a new coach you have to be alert again because you are starting from zero. Exactly, yeah. And, um, um, but I think that they've, they've, so far they seem to be dealing with it well. Uh, red cards per team, Dan, you're quite right. Independiente lead the standings. Level, however, on six red cards so far with Lanús. Um, so there is somebody else, or there are another, there is another team who are equally as bad. Uh, Argentinos have five red cards, Huracan and Union four each, Boca and Vélez and San Lorenzo and Atletico Tucumán and Banfield and Arsenal, I shouldn't have started saying and quite so soon in that list, uh, have three apiece. And I'm just going to go down and see how many... There are three teams who have yet to have any players sent off. Do I try to name them? What One of them will be probably one that you could guess quite easily given the conversation we've just had about who's in good form and top of the league. River have had a senior, surely. Possibly on the bench, but according to this, no player's actually sent off from the pitch. Really? That's what it says here. Yeah. Maybe you're thinking of a Libertadores game? I think I am. Yeah, yes. yeah it was the Libertadores yeah. game against Cristal and Zarias, right? Yes. Yes, that was uh, what I was thinking of. Yes, of course, in the first half when it finished 2-2 at half-time and then they won 4-2 with 10 men in the second. Mm-hmm. And the other two teams, uh, well, one of them's in action at the moment. Can't be a Stuliantis. Is it Stuliantis? What? That is a betrayal of everything they stand for. And the other are a, let's see, a club from the interior who have been promoted fairly recently, but not this year. Uh, Not Belgrano. Central Corp. Yes. Well done. So River, Estudiantes and Central Corp are the only clubs so far to not have picked up any red cards in domestic. Something's not working with Estudiantes. It's impressive in 13 games, to be honest. Hmm. In, in this league. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or in any league, I don't know. Way football's going these studies. Indeed. Um, yeah, as you said, Andres, Estudiantes, well, something's not working. I'm not sure. They, they won 1-0 against Tacheres. They're currently leading 2-0 away to Platense. And they're slowly rising, yeah. They're slowly And then rising. they defeated Boca just before they started to be a bit better. Yeah. Because against Pereira and, and against Suntar, uh, uh, I wouldn't say that they played like a team, but they mm. play better. Boca. Showed a bit more oh, yeah. more fights. Yes, uh, Estudiantes also got a 4-0 win against Taquari of Paraguay. Yes. yes. I'm guessing from the name, to be honest. Um, on the 18th of March, uh, of April, sorry, which is, yeah, we would have, that would have happened before we last recorded, but we've not paid much attention to the Sudamericana so far. Um, but yeah, Estudiantes are on a decent run of form, actually. They are, if if they cling on to this win, then they will go fourth. Uh, they obviously I'll be playing one more game than everyone else around them because the rest of the round is happening later. Speaking of good rounds, yes. it's, I think we need to talk about Belgrano at some point. Why not make it now, Dan? What do you want to say about Belgrano? They're doing really, really well. Yeah, they are. Um, fourth in the league, or... Possibly, yeah. yeah. F- fourth before this game kicked fourth off. Fourth before this game kicked off, off, yes. They have won their last five games in a row. All, keep, 
keeping clean sheets in every single one, including that's, that's in all competitions. In all competitions, including Mondays, Tuesdays, twenty sixth. That's yesterday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, rather. Wednesdays, uh, Copa Argentina win over Independiente Rivadavia, and they also have the joint top scorer in the league in the shape of Pablo Vegetti. Vegetti. Oh well, who is. Um, Tied at the moment with Retegui and Leandro Diaz of Lanús. Who's continued to bang them in after, as we mentioned earlier in the year, becoming the first player to score against Martin Demichelis's River. Mm. And also having been the first player to score against Marcelo Gachardo's River. Indeed. Jokingly saying afterwards, oh, well, I hope it brings him luck. <laughs> <laughs> he's still going, yeah. So far, he's, he, he, he did it. Yeah. And yeah, I, wish, I wish I could say more about Beirana, but I always seem to, to miss her matches. Um, you know... Their team doesn't shout out superstar to you by any means. Uh, seems to be kind of the bulk of the players who got them into the league last year um, mm. after a very very impressive uh, campaign in the in the Nacional. Um, exciting young coach Guillermo Farri, who seems not to have uh, been phased much by the um, by the step up. And yeah, I remember him. He, he was a player for Belgrano a long time, right? Yes. Yes. It was, yeah, yeah. Centre back or left? Full Mid back or centre back? Field, Defensive I believe, yeah. yeah. Anyway, their next two matches are against Independiente mm. in Avellaneda and Atletico Tucumán. Ah, so Farri was the guy who scored the, the crucial goal yeah. against River. Yes. Back in 2011. Yeah. The relegation promotion player. Yeah. Right, He's in yeah. the in the second leg. Yeah. So he got promoted as a player and as a coach with Belgrano. Oh, that hasn't just, occurred to me, but yeah. Yeah. Now we just need Picante Pereira to come back and, <laughs> and we'll have the whole group. You remember Picante Pereira. Whole gang back together. What um. What a golden age of the podcast that was. Indeed. Um, their next two games are against Independiente and Atlético Tucumán, so they've got decent chance to both for relegation. Um, fun. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, so they've got a decent chance to, to try to uh, keep that run going before they play. I think it's Boca after that. So, I mean, possibly another good chance to get a win there as well. But uh, maybe they'll surprise us. Who knows? We keep thinking, oh, Boca have to win this one at home. And then they manage to lose another one. So yeah. we'll see. Um, but, yes, anybody else that we want to discuss, gents? Form-wise, we've not talked... About oh hang on no we have haven't we we did mention San Lorenzo briefly um, the third place team in the league however are Defensa y Justicia can we say anything about them uh, another team I haven't seen a huge amount of um, but they just just been um, Defensa Justicia over the last ten years right just always up there and. Kind of punching above their weight. Yeah. Um, Three wins in a row now in the league, with another win in the Copa Sudamericana yeah. sandwiched between those. So four in a row in all competitions in the league. It's three clean sheets in a row. Um, so matching San Lorenzo, I guess, in that respect. You know, they're tight defence, as we already mentioned. They're, they're the, they've got the third best uh, defence in the league after River and San Lorenzo joint but first. Having changed the the. Most of the players, of course, and the coach. Because and the Julio, coach, yeah. Julio Bacari, I think, is, is right now. Yes. Yeah. And he says he went to Elche. Elche, oh. In Spain, yes. 
Uh, I think the only player or one of the few players that are from that uh, times is uh, Uita Fernandez. And Zayn, the uh, uh, goalkeeper. Yes. Yeah, they've got, just looking down their squad list, they've got some enjoyable names to say. <laughs> Tiago Schiavulli, huh? who is 19. Uh, Sounds more difficult than fun, to be honest. Ariel Brunfman, B-R-U-N-F-M-A-N, which is a, an unusual surname, I want to say. <laughs> um, midfield, they've got Federico Versace. Ah, stylish. So that, that, they have a Santiago classic stylish midfielder. Yeah. You know, they have a Santiago you know. Solari. It's the same name, exact same name than the yes. the Little Indian. Yeah. Is he is he a member of the Solari clan? No, I'm, the I Solari don't footballing clan. It's... That's this point. Um, yeah, no, I, I just felt like looking down their squad list and seeing what they were called. Some of them. Um, and in the meantime, their ex coach isn't doing quite as well. Um, he is just overseen the longest losing streak in Elche history which has reached six games now five of which are under his watch Um, yes Elche are in La Liga or Liga 2 the top flight yeah but doesn't look like they're going to be there for much longer no indeed Um, since we're talking about Spain I know it's not entirely our remit but I think it's worth not at all our remit but carry on but I think it's worth talking about the the Argentine who has outdone Messi in La Liga. Oh, this is oh, I want to say Espanol, but it's not Espanol. It's not it? close. It's Catalan. Valentin Tati Castellanos. Yeah. Oh, he scored four goals. Against four goals against Real Madrid, Madrid in Girona's four-two victory. Something Messi never managed. No, for Barcelona. Waste of space. Indeed. Fraud. Sorry, I think that's the, the vernacular, isn't it? <laughs> Well, I'm sure Sam will be very much looking forward to, uh, to seeing him at City. He did advantage of the, the poor form that the Real Madrid players had after after winning against Chelsea. And but yeah, four goals for a player who was linked for with River. Uh, it was exhausting because there were uh, months or or what weeks in which. Uh, Every day you you knew, you have different information about Tati Castellanos whether he will come to River or not. Mm-hmm. Um, How old is he? Twenty-four. A fun fact: uh, he's twenty-four and he's already played in five different teams. Not in Argentina. Uh, oh. Yeah, I think five different teams in no four different teams in four different countries mm. in three different continents. Okay, take us through. He moved as a trainee to Universidad de Chile. He's from Mendoza, yeah. so just crossed over the Cordillera. Yeah, as Andres says, he, he moved abroad before yes. turning professional. So here, yeah. <laughs> we're just starting to hear about him now that he scored from four the goals against Real Madrid. Independiente No, I read a bit about him um, in... Oh, sorry, when I said we, I mean yes, yes, yes. the Argentine public rather yeah. than uh, the enlightened... Football followers of Hand of Pod. I mean, in my case, to be perfectly honest, mm. I have just started hearing about him. But okay. from there, he played 20 minutes for Universidad de Chile, and that earned him a move to Torque, or as they're officially known, Montevideo City Torque, mm. I believe now. He was one of the first City Group signings, actually. Oh, well. Um, played a season. Oh, so he actually is going to be playing for Man City before. 
Yeah, he's... Because Hiron are also City Group, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, from Torque to New York City FC. Did very, very well. Spotting New York Pants, City FC. From New York City FC to Girona at the start of the year. Uh-huh. And he's got 11 goals already for Girona. Wow. And he has played for Argentina under 23s as well back in 2020. I think also under 23. Team, isn't it? No, that was the Sudamerican. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there wasn't an Olympics. No, because that wasn't 2020, was it? It was, it it was, was 2020 2020 Olympics. Pan American Games? Maybe. Or the Olympic qualifiers? No, because that, that's the under-21 championship. Ah, pre-Olympic tournament. Not the Olympics, pre-Olympics. Okay. There you go. So that was, so, yeah. what, January 2020? Presumably it wasn't mid-2020, uh, was it? I can find out. I wouldn't have thought it'd be mid-2020. 18th of January to 9th of February, yes. Right, okay. So, well done, Katishanas. Indeed. Yes, well done him. Better than I Messi. think that we'll take a half-time break there. Okay. 36 minutes sounds about right, so yeah. don't go away. Statistic that is potentially coming up. Um, admittedly, this might have been called a bit early now that we look at it, but it's something that I noticed while scrolling down the Hand of Pod Twitter timeline uh, while Dan was out for a cigarette. Uh, Franco Aramani is currently attempting to break his own record for most time without conceding a goal in the domestic. No, in the league, I think it is. No, it might be in domestic competition, actually, including the Copper, um, from 2018. He has gone 729 minutes without uh, conceding a domestic goal. This says in El Torneo Local, which implies league only, but I'm pretty sure that the record includes Copa Argentina. Uh, He needs 61 more minutes to pass the previous, previous record, uh, set in 1968 by Amadeo Carrizo, which was 789 minutes. And if he manages another 246 minutes, which is... What's that? Four matches? and th- Three and a bit matches? Um, then he will pass his own record uh, of 965 minutes from 2018, which you might remember was back when he was chasing the all-time Argentine league record of something like a 1,000 and... 20 minutes or something like that from I can't remember yeah. who I feel like this record doesn't mean a whole lot considering he already holds it and yeah. well he holds the river all, one but he and that he's get the all time one and that in the meantime he shipped five goals in the Libertadores but call me a cynic if you like yeah that's but it, I mean it's a domestic record so that's just me 246 divided by 90 that's 2.73 games okay so it's actually a little bit closer than it sounded and River's next Domestic fixtures against Atletico Tucumán. Away to Atletico Tucumán, at home to Boca, and then away to Tacheres. So, I mean, on paper, you would look at all of those and say that River clean sheets, given how many clean sheets they've already kept, should be uh, 
easily within reach, but obviously the fact that the middle one of those fixtures is the Super Classico does throw things up in the air a little bit because, as we all know, form goes out the window uh, when the derby rolls around. But, you know. On the plus side, given it's Boca, he'll have extra minutes in that game for sure to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. to get the tally up. Probably an extra 15 minutes of stoppage time in exactly. the each half. But it's, you know, it, it's quite surprising taking into account the, the uh, sometimes weak defensive form of River, but at this point they are showing that they, they are like a balanced of, of, of offensive team because they create a bunch of chances to score mm. against the Mediente was a, a clear example of that but they also they don't suffer a lot in defense which is I think pretty what you were, what you look for in a team mm-hmm. indeed yeah yeah uh, you mentioned Copa Argentina we had one more Copa Argentina match that we haven't mentioned we mentioned earlier okay. Belgrano part of that very very good run was beating Independiente Rivadavia 2-0 um, and Col- and Colón, sorry, I was getting confused between the two Cols who mm. played last night. Uh, Colón beat Colegiales 2-0. One of my local teams. In theory. Colegiales. I mean, yeah, in, in as much as I live very close to the barrio of Colegiales. They're playing Munro now, possibly? I'm not sure, but they certainly don't play in Colegiales because there is not a stadium I there. I think they're playing Munro, which is San Martín. It's uh, the north of Great uh, Buenos Aires. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, Actually, I ought to know because my girlfriend was born in Moonrock, but. Um, huh. They might not even be from there, but it rings a bell for some reason. Yeah. That Colegiales play in Moonrock. Um, I actually watched a bit of it and it was about as comfortable a Copa Argentina game against lower league opposition can be, really. Never looked in doubt. So, probably not. We'll say much more about it, and then next week we continue this mammoth last 64 or whatever it is of the Copa Argentina has two more games. Arsenal against Villa Mitre of Bahia Blanca and Platense against Defensores de Belgrano. Uh-huh. A local derby there. Vicente Lopez is where Munro is. Which again, I should have been able to tell you straight off the bat, but yeah. Yes. And, and, as Which I think it is still Munro. I think I've just got the district... Which yeah, Munro no, no, that's what I'm there. saying. Munro yeah. is in Vicente Lopez. Um, so I was half right. Yeah. Um, and there's still 10 games to be confirmed in, in that first Yeah, because round. they just set a couple every week. It's don't brilliant, they? yeah. So, I mean, one day. So the fixtures that, that we still have to play are Arsenal Vichalitre, Platense Defensores, which Dan's just mentioned, Union versus Almagro. According to this, these next three games are going to be played on the 9th, 10th and 11th of May. Mm-hmm. But I doubt they've actually been scheduled so far. Given, no, how, they have given how far away that is. Union Almagro, Barracas Central Estudiantes de Buenos Aires, or Estudiantes de Caseros if you prefer, and Lanús versus Sol de Rasho. Um, of? Sol de Rasho. Mm. Uh, somewhere in Buenos Aires province, I think. Mm. Maybe. The V could be Venado Tuerto. One Let's of see. the best named places in in Argentina, Ooh. the one-eyed stag. Viedma. Viedma, there you go. Ooh. So very much not Buenos Aires province. Not far uh, Patagonia, Rio Negro. 
But yes, actually, yeah, it's, it's the it's very just south of the river, isn't it? From in the Patagonis. Yeah, which is the only part of Buenos Aires province that's in Patagonia. There we go. Geography. But yeah. This is what you get for listening to Hannah Pod. If you like looking at maps, then this is the definitely the Argentine football podcast to listen to. Because every 13 years or so, I'll get an opportunity to just stick something like that in there. Then you have Vélez Deportivo Español, which isn't Spain, despite the name. No. It is Villa Soldati, I believe, or Bajo Flores. Oh, it still exists because... Yes. Very close to San Lorenzo, mm-hmm. Scott. There was a, a time in which uh, the president of the Deportivo Español was Giovanni, the, the owner of the mm-hmm. most of the uh, confiterias or well bars in, in Buenos Aires, and and there was a point in which they changed their name to Unión Española, the same as Chile. Mm-hmm. Then it was almost about to disappear, like happened to Racing. I, I think I think we should clarify for those who have not been to Buenos Aires that when Andres says most of the confiterias and bars. I doubt it's literally most, given how many there are, but Goffy, an awful lot of them. So. A fair amount. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I think we've we've talked about uh, Deportivo Español and their difficulties in at least one extra over the years. Yes, I think we have. Yeah, yeah it rings a bell. Uh, I feel like we should mention, although obviously we had Santi here last week, he gave us a big load of background on Independiente so, uh, and what's been going on there recently. So, you know, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, then and you're interested in this, then go back and listen to that one for more detail. But since then, there has been an announcement, I think today or yesterday, right, that there's a collection going on to keep Independiente afloat. From it's some... been announced before. I think Santi mentioned it last week, but it opened today. Yes. And it's from some bloke who's got nothing to do with football and has just decided for some entirely non-political reasons, obviously, to uh, run this. It's a guy, like, I might just be old, but I don't <laughs> understand his purpose. It's like a person who doesn't actually do anything except open up an account which mm. people can pay money into to like raise money for good causes. Because uh, stuff like GoFundMe can't happen in Argentina due to currency controls <laughs> making it too difficult, I guess. I mean, no, but you, you can still raise money on your own without having to go to this guy, I guess. Yeah, or you could simply donate money to the club. Yeah. It's a but, crazy idea. But he's running a business because uh, I didn't know that, but uh, I read that he will keep 5% of the total money that he yeah. will... I mean, that is the least surprising thing I've heard at least today. Hmm. That explains why he's doing it. I mean, yeah, if you get 5%, I think it was 300 million pesos that they've, um, they've raised today. Yeah, I mean, one of, uh, one of my girlfriend's friends... The friend through whom my girlfriend and I met, uh, so one of our friends, is an Independiente fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, what she was telling my girlfriend earlier today was that apparently they have to raise, just in, she gave the figure in dollars. I don't know whether it's officially in dollars or not, mm-hmm. but she said it's $20 million, which sounds like nothing for US dollars, that is. For, for, for a lot of our international listeners who are used to hearing... Premier no, I mean, it would be the biggest it sounds like nothing, but it's collection of its type for a sporting team in the whole world, yeah, I'm I mean, sure. How much was, was Racing's debt when they were bankrupted in 2000? Uh, I think it was about six or seven million off the top yeah. of my head, but I could be wrong. So, I mean, that gives you an idea of the scale, mm. uh, even taking into account inflation, yeah. that, of, of trouble that Independiente potentially um, in. Yeah, I mean... They're not going to go out of business because, thanks to everything that happened with Racing, football clubs can't go out of business. Mm. Uh, there's a law against it. 
Um, so this is basically like the idea is to get enough money to at least pay off the debts which preclude Independiente from being able to operate in the transfer market. Yeah, and this, this bloke's idea, by the way, if he's taking a 5% cut, it's... It's a fucking genius. You know, I mean, if, if you're particularly whizzy at mathematics, I've actually just done this on my calculator and I'm now quite ashamed that I've done so because 20 million divided by 20 equals 5%. Yeah. It's going to get a million dollars. They're not going to raise... If everybody does it through... They're not going to raise 20 million dollars, but... Um, indeed. They're going to raise, yeah. But there's his motivation for trying it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, fine. We were also going to discuss the under-20 World Cup because last week we talked about how and why it's being played in Argentina. And last Friday afternoon Swiss time, where it was actually held, and morning our time, the draw for the under-20 World Cup took place and I've, the reason I started to slow down my speaking there was that I was trying to find the under 20 World Cup bit on sofa score so I could tell you what the groups are so we now know who's going to be in Argentina's group and indeed who's going to be in all of the other groups and unfortunately although it was a possibility England and Argentina haven't been drawn in the same group no. Argentina's group uh, and I mean for not playing to, to I, have this... I don't know a lot about international under-20 football, but one thing I can say is I'm really looking forward to seeing how Argentina fail to qualify from this group. Because they're playing at home against Guatemala, New Zealand and Uzbekistan. Uh, group B is Ecuador, Fiji, Slovakia and the United States of America. Group C, Colombia, Israel, Japan, Senegal. Group D, Brazil, Dominican Republic, Italy, and Nigeria. Group E is England, Iraq, Tunisia, and Uruguay. And Group F is France, Gambia, Honduras, and South Korea. Um, obviously, as I say, the, the operative uh, question is, how do Argentina fuck that group up? Because it's going to happen, presumably, given what we know of Javier Mascherano's manager. Yeah, so far. I believe in Mascherano. He's in so Manchester, apparently, in order to he's come... He's in Europe. Yes, he's, but he's, he's Officially, he's got to try to talk to all of the European clubs about letting their players go, but as we mentioned last week, Juventus are rather more likely to let Matias Sule go than Manchester United are to let Alejandro Garnacho go. But yes, he's, uh, is he in Manchester at the moment? As far from my read, he will try to, yes, mm -hmm. to say, please, let us play with Garnacho. And, uh, I don't know if he will tell... He will say that except words, but he will try to to turn the decision yeah. over. Garnacho wants to go. Um, as I, I think I said last week, I, I think United seem unlikely to let him, at least without a fight. But I, I think that the smart thing for United to do, particularly obviously when we recorded... When did we record last week? Did we know that United were out of the Europa League? Uh, yes, United, yes. But we didn't, we didn't know whether they were in the FA Cup final now, no. which was the point I, I thought there was still maybe a final that they could be in, and that he could play in, because from what Eric Ten Hag said the other day, there's a chance that he's going to be fit to be on the bench this weekend, and if not, then for United's match next week. Mm -hmm. um, so... I, I still feel like at this stage where you're trying to tie him down to a new contract and you know you want to keep him happy, he's going to be one of the best players in the world for the next decade if you play things right, I'd let him go. 
I feel like he, he can he do can without his 20 minutes off the bench in the FA Cup final. Yeah. Well, it's it, not going to make that much difference. All it, City, he's he's only an injury to another forward away from starting and, and playing the whole of the FA Cup final. But still, I'd, I'd be tempted to go... Yeah, go on. Get the good win in the bank, just in case he becomes the best player in the world. And you Barcelona did, as we mentioned last last week, with the twenty eight Olympics, was it with with Messi? The thing is, how sure are the United bosses that Garnacho will give it all for the United, knowing that he wants to be with the national team, even this when the trainings. Well, I guess he's got to prove his fitness anyway. But obviously, from Argentina's point of view, it makes complete sense because, given how much of a not really a team they looked during the qualifiers without some of their European stars. Uh, the thinking here is very much at least, I mean, it may or may not turn out to be true, but there are an awful lot of people saying here that Garnacho could be the difference between a respectable campaign and potentially struggling to get out. Anyway, of the there stage. weren't also that uh, uh, match players from the new next generation, like Sule, mm. Sule wasn't there, it wasn't only Nicolas Pass from the so called. Youngsters that are yeah. uh, have a future with the national team, I think. The other thing is that, from Argentina's point of view, if you're trying to convince him to to commit his future to Argentina rather than to Spain at international level, at full international level, getting him involved for this tournament and getting him excited about the project as a whole uh, makes an awful lot of sense, obviously. But we'll see what happens. Um, the tournament starts on the 20th of May, as we mentioned last week, and it will kick off with Argentina versus Uzbekistan in... Santiago? Do we, oh, this actually doesn't tell me which stadium is it. I was expecting it to give me the menu, but it doesn't. Um, but yes, I think I think we said, didn't we, that the opening game was in Santiago del Estero and the final's going to be in La Plata. Um, so, yeah, watch this space. Okay. Yes, it's uh, the Estadio Madre Ciudades, 20th of May. Uh, not, of course, the time is not uh, confirmed. Is this all going to be on direct TV, by the way? No, it has to be on. I think it will be on the public also. TV. Okay. The Argentina, Argentina matches, matches, yeah, the, yeah. But I mean, the, the tournament as a whole is. I mean, mm. now that it's in Argentina, maybe they'll have freed up a few more games for public TV. But fingers crossed. If not, we'll have to watch it on streaming if we want to pay attention to it. Um, but yes, so Argentina have Uzbekistan first, and then they have Guatemala, and then they have New Zealand. Uh, three three days from one match to the other. In Done. Is it the 20th? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the f- first group game's on the 20th and the last group game's on the 26th. So, yeah. We'll wait and see how that goes. I'm looking forward to it, actually. Now that we actually have yeah. a reason to, to pay attention to it, because if it was going to be in Indonesia, then it's the middle of the night here. <laughs> and, okay, I mean, maybe I'd have followed England vicariously through it by looking at the scores, but I wouldn't have actually watched much of it. Um, but, yeah, having a, an under-20 World Cup that we actually watch... Even if it's only the three matches of the group stage before Argentina somehow get eliminated. I think that the, the first rival will be Argentina themselves because mm-hmm. after what Machirano did, uh, I mean, it's, it's natural that you fail something that you your mission was to qualify and you failed. Yeah. And you, as a head of the group, say, I wasn't, I wasn't good enough, I, I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah. And then when Argentina finally qualifies because you are given the, the, the venue of the of the World Cup. Oh, okay, then I, I, will, I will be there, I will stay. Well, I think they approached it because they didn't have any other people, right? Yeah. But I, I kind of, I can't help wondering whether they might have asked Scaloni whether he was interested at all. Obviously, 
Scaloni's problem there would be that no, he's because not Scaloni, with the players. I think so. Scaloni was asked about that and he said, I will try to, to for, for him to stay, I will try to convince him to, uh, for him to. Uh, okay. So he, yeah. it wasn't that he was, yeah, well, if there is no coach, I will try to. Yeah. No. no as I say, I mean, Scaloni doesn't know the players as well. He, he's mm. presumably is not going to be aware of which 18 and 19 year olds. I, I mean, he's, he's aware. But he's not going to be as aware of, as Mascherano of who fits in. Yes, exactly in fact, part of the well with whom and part of his coach, uh, of his staff, the staff uh, he manages are the ones who are scouting the, the this uh, Carboni, Sule, Garnacho. Mm. So he must be aware. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's something that is happening shortly, and we'll keep an eye on it. Listeners' questions. Uh, I think it's question... It is indeed a question. And it's a question that I find... Um, we'll read it out and see what happens. A Palawan, I hope I've pronounced that correctly, says, if Tigres number nine can score against decent European opposition... Translation for those who've not been paying attention for the last few months. He's talking about Matteo Rategi getting called up for Italy and then scoring against England... Just imagine how good Leandro Diaz, Beltran, or even Gabriel Avalos are. Uh, W-D-Y... What do you think? Um, I mean, first of all, I I, I think that there's a sort of... I don't know whether there's a big club bias or something built into the question there, because any club in this league can have a decent number nine at any given time. At the moment, it happens to be Tigre, on loan for Boca. Um... But just because he plays for a, a smaller club doesn't mean that he can't be a good player. In fact, he's still the, the not not alone, but top goal scorer. Yeah. yeah. Um, along with... Where is he? Uh, Bechetti. Oh, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, and Leandro Diaz of Lanus. Yes. Um, all on eight goals. A bit angry at the question for overlooking Bechetti, but I'm willing to let it go. Indeed. Uh, but I do think there's a, there's a point in here because... I've kind of long held this suspicion that if you can score goals in Argentina, you can probably score them in most places because it's not an easy place to regularly score goals. Mm. Um, And we've seen as much from, I think, the really good players who have come back. Um, Like Tevez. Tevez never scored for Boca at the same rate as he scored for Juventus, for City or for United. Yeah, and that was in spite of coming back at an age quite deliberately not waiting until he was over the hill yeah, before he Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think uh, Melito as well was fantastic for Racing, but if you looked at kind of Melito, how much he was scoring for Inter in his absolute prime mm. in Serie A and how many he scored um, for Racing, it was a very decent title, but kind of from a goal, you know, every one and a half, two games to every three or, go, three or four games. So it's a hard league to score in because I, I would you're not getting as good service. The defenders have no problem in kicking you to shit. Mm. Goalkeepers, referees, the referees are almost told to let the defenders do Absolutely. that to a certain extent still. The keepers, you know, aside from the old clanger, you don't, they're generally a fairly decent level. Kind of looking at it. Mm over, you know, ignoring the really bad errors. They're good shot stoppers. Good shot stoppers, yes. Not necessarily the best modern goalkeepers claiming balls for... Which is why, of course, Martin Palermo is probably the exception to the rule and always scores so much more in Argentina than 
than anywhere else. Hmm. Um, but I, I do think there's something in it. Um, and I wasn't surprised to see Rodrigue do so well, you know, um, breaking in for Italy, just as, you know, uh, good goal scorers in Argentina, the likes of Julian Alvarez, Lautaro Martinez, uh, Giovanni Simeone. Um, they've shown they can find the net on a regular basis. Um, yeah. yeah, there's something I've always uh, suspected, and I'm glad to see I'm not the only one. Um, and also going back, you know, I hinted at this earlier, you know, Racing's toils against Atletico Tucumán, one of the worst teams uh, in Argentina compared to how comfortable they looked, apart from, you know, mini meltdown in the middle against Alcas, hmm. uh, Ecuador's champions. Uh, you know, we all like to speak down, uh, talk talk badly about the Argentine league, but I feel like it's pretty good at the moment. Like, yeah. even at least, like, the amount of no-hopers, which is hard to say, in such a massive league, um, there's not that many, possibly. Mm. I'd, I'd take it at individual level. I would take it beyond just goal scoring and, and say that none of us, Nobody, I don't think, who's ever been on this podcast is going to sit here and say with any sincerity that we believe that the Liga Profesional is the highest level of football oh, no, that players can hope to play for, right? But it's, it's good enough and it's physical enough mm. and it is competitive and kind of doggy dog enough that when you do see a player come through and really stand out, mm. it becomes very obvious very quickly like after say six months if they can sustain it for that long then they're clearly a player who can go to the big leagues yeah. and do really and well as happened with, uh, with with Enzo last year and, and with Julian Alvarez and, and so on and Sergio Aguero when he was first breaking through Independiente and so many others they're not doing it against the very top defenders in the world when they first start and right, I think you think more to do but, with the, how poorly are performing the Italian strikers yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But also, it, it, it's not a surprise, necessarily, that somebody who has had that good a season in this league actually can go to Europe and be like, yeah, no, I can mix it with these guys, this is no problem. I mean, When Gabriel Avalos scored three, I think, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, a hat-trick, I was thinking, well, he could perfectly be the pair of strikers, Avalos and Rategi for Italy, but... Avalos has already played for it for Paraguay, I think. Hmm. So he won't be won't be able even if Mancini Mancini said, Oh, this guy, this guy is is good. He's mm-hmm. scoring a lot of goals in Argentina first division, like Retegui. Mm-hmm. Let's call him up. But not just you know, in, in the top European leagues, I'm I've been watching uh, kind of this year and a bit of last year, the great Germán Cano, who's just killing it for Fluminense at the moment, and he's mm-hmm. a guy who in his entire Argentine career, which ended in you know complete uh, nothingness, really, uh, he managed to score three goals in as many years, and in his many travels across um, South America since then, and uh, and Mexico, he's added two two hundred and seventy one. Yeah. Well, how um, old is he now? Thirty five. Right, because I mean, this is the other thing with. But he scored regularly every season almost since he left. Argentina, but never could do it in Argentina. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Andres was just talking about Avalos as well, so I looked it up. Yeah. Avalos is 32. Um, but So, I mean, I think my point is is more not necessarily just can you sustain it, but can you sustain it at a young age? Mm. And if you can, 
then there's no reason at all that you can't develop and, and head to Europe and make a good career there. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I think so I mentioned Bruno Sapelli. Creative midfielder, is, I think it's good. I think it's not a star. For, for, plays for Belgrano. And yes, he's... Oh, this is the one who also Mancini called up for Italy. And he accepted because he knew that Argentina would be hard for him to be called up because... Well, Scaloni has called up only Marmani from the local, from okay. the uh, local teams, uh, and and Italy calls him up uh, as a future star. It's going to be something if Italy have more players from the Liga Profesional than Argentina. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, it's, my fact. The other thing is, it, it's kind of wild as well, right? How we're, we're looking at this, and to an extent, and you know, as you rightly said about Retegi's call up, it does owe as much to Italy's. Mm. dearth of forwards at the moment as it does to Rategi's undeniably good form as well he will be with Italy are European champions yeah and these guys are, you know and they're still calling yeah they're not Faroe Islands you know, like, or we're talking about oh they don't have any decent centre forwards but actually I mean they've got enough to have admittedly failed to qualify for the World yeah. Cup in the meantime two times running but to have won a European championship yeah. beating the bloody the, the, the team who hosted the final <laughs> in the final as well which is can't be easy to do. And then they, then they lost to Macedonia and get yeah. out of the world. Yeah, no, it, it's hilarious, obviously, that from that point of view. But also, in spite of the fact that they haven't qualified for the last two World Cups, they're demonstrably not an entirely bad national team. Um, so, yeah, it's... It, it's I mean, it, it's a question that, that throws up so many other questions. And, and so while I, as I said, I kind of disagree with, with the premise that just because Retegi's playing for a smaller club... Uh, and I'm not going to even say in inverted commas because Tigre fans would call themselves a small club. That that's that's the sort of mentality in Argentina is that you have the big five, and if you're not one of the big five, and you're not in, fact, in, Bechetti, city in the interior, then you're a small. Bechetti, club. I think, is the perfect striker. Was if you want to have a, a Martin Palermo uh, copy mm-hmm. because he he's Bechetti, not yes, not Retegi. Bechetti. Okay. Tall. He's a proper number nine. Yeah. Uh, if you. Uh, Send him crosses. He will perhaps have more, most of the crosses. Yeah. And and I think he's good. Of course, he's at Belgrano, and, and and there is also the doubts. What will he do if he plays for an European team? I I won't say no. I don't know. He's, he's older as well, though, isn't he? Yes. I mean, that's the other thing. But also, it, it's you say sending in crosses and he'll win headers, and I think that kind of feeds back into what the point I was making about. The goalkeepers maybe being the exception here and so that's another thing that occurs to me that we can discuss since we're in the question section did Dibu Martinez need to leave Argentina at such a young age and to start being coached by European coaches so early on for Argentina to win the World Cup because he is far and away at least of Argentine goalkeepers I can think of the most modern and I don't think it's at all coincidental that he actually spent most of his formative years not being coached by Argentine goalkeeping coaches. I mean, unless Arsenal have got an Argentine goalkeeping coach that I'm not aware of, but I'm, I'm sure they have. I'm presuming he was being coached mostly by English or European coaches. I mean, considering just how terrified his two predecessors in World Cups were of any sort of cross, yeah, I think that has to have something to do with it. And as a knock on of that, when he retires, what happens? From Argentina's national team point of view, of finding a goalkeeper 
who can play modern football. I think he has to. Do they fall into the same trap, or do they look at it and go, you know, we need to try to emulate that? Way I think he has to keep playing long enough to train and hone his son. Mm. So that he could just step straight into the role. What if his son decides to play for Brazil, Dan? What if that happens? How would he play for Brazil? His wife's... Emiliano Martinez's wife is Brazilian. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah. Or is it Portuguese? She was born in London. Her parents are either Brazilian or Portuguese. That's why she's called Mirandinha or something. Mm. Um, I see. Could you imagine Luan Martinez's son playing for Brazil? It would be hilarious, wouldn't it? I mean, as a non-Argentine, I'd find it quite funny. It, it would be very, very funny. Um, the thing is that... I don't know where to go from there. Yeah. Diego Martinez is so good that uh, makes the, other, the others... Uh, or play for England, even. Like, either, um, <laughs> either option is fantastic, objectively. She is... Oh yeah, I, th- I have a feeling she's not Brazilian. I have a feeling she's Portuguese. Uh, but oh, I've just gone to his Wikipedia page. Yeah. But yeah, he's Argentine, right? Emiliano Martinez is definitely Argentine. We don't want any it's, retrospective no, no, bar and no, Castillo kind of thing coming down. Absolutely nothing. Uh, yeah, well, he he was point. never coached by Santoro. He was, yes. Uh, Pepe. Oh, this doesn't actually mention that. But yeah, I, I read a an article about them after the World Cup final okay. at some point and they met in a Portuguese Brazilian restaurant that her parents owned that he used to go to quite a bit when he was a trainee at Arsenal fair enough so yeah she was one of the waitresses or something and he oh. kind of picked her up oh. anyway um, shall we move on to Mystic Sam yes I think it's there, there, there have been no more listeners questions I'll just triple check that before we refresh the page one more time no no more listeners questions so thank you a Pahlawan for that and I apologise if I've mispronounced your surname uh, but for now don't go away I'll be back and I will tell you what's going to happen this shortened-ish weekend Well I think we sorry I think we did have one Question after the bell last week. Uh, yes, I think An update on Primera B. We'll deal with that in. Um, why don't we do that in Hunterpot Extra? Yeah, then why not? Um, so, first of all, as we mentioned earlier, Sarmiento Godoy Cruz and Platense Estudiantes are currently taking place. Now, you might be wondering why this is if you're from a less historically left leaning. Historically left leaning might be problematic in the right-wing dictatorships this country said, but you know what I mean. If you're from the United States, you might be confused about why this is taking place. Uh, The reason is that there are going to be no matches on Monday because it's International Workers' Day. So, they've started the weekend on Thursday instead. So, Sarmiento Godo Cruz, 77 minutes in and is currently 1-1, and Platense Estudiantes is 73 minutes in and is currently 2-1 to Estudiantes, and I will not predict those matches. Or, I'll predict there are going to be no more goals in those games, they'll finish as they currently are, we'll see what happens. That just seems like the safe bet. On Friday evening, Newells versus Argentinos, I think will be an Argentinos win, although they're currently level on points, so it's a difficult one to, to really predict. Huracan, I think will get a win against Arsenal at home. Atletico Tucumán versus River, I think will be a River win. 
Vélez versus San Lorenzo will be a San Lorenzo win. That's, of course, a classic goal from one team's point of view and not really from the Not the, the Ricardo Vareca's comeback that he no. would have dreamed. No. Oh, yeah, of course it's going to be his first game back, isn't it? Um, not the first, but he... First home game? Or? No, it's been there for a while, no? this But it can be no First game against San Lorenzo, uh, but yeah, from Venice's point of view, that's a bit of a classic goal. From San Lorenzo's point of view, they would strenuously deny that they look at it that way. There's definitely a rivalry. The game that cost us away fans as well. Yeah. Never forget. Yeah, yeah. Ten years ago, almost to the day. That was a studio this, wasn't it? A studio this against. Sure, it was Venice San Lorenzo. Where, where the police shot someone with the wrong bullet. That was definitely outside the Estadio Único. Sorry, the Estadio Diego Maradona. No, it? there was one outside the Vélez Stadium where a fan got shot, and I'm sure it was San Lorenzo. Ooh, we'll have to go back into our archives. And Carry on talking, and I'll, I'll Google that. Gimnasia versus Tigre. I think it's going to be a Tigre... Ooh, no, I think that's going to be an entertaining draw. Goals on both sides. Banfield versus Barracas Central. Now, I don't know for certain, because it's been a while since I watched either of them, but I suspect there's a reason that we haven't talked about either of these teams in some time. Yes. Don't watch that match. <laughs> um, I'll go for Banfield to scrape it, I think. Instituto de Córdoba versus Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero. Not a Clásico. I'll go for Instituto to win that one. Boca versus Racing. I mean, if Racing can't get a win in the Bombonera this time down... I don't When's it going to happen? I'm going to go for Racing to win. Defensa y Justicia versus Colón. I'll go for a Defensa win. Independiente versus Belgrano. I will go for a draw there. Tacheres versus Rosario Central. I'm going for a Central win, I think. And Union versus Lanús. Draw. Have you managed to find it? It appears the one I was thinking of was actually 2011. Uh huh. Um, outside Villas' stadium, a San Lorenzo fan. Uh, just having a look through Salvemos al Football's mm. death list. Uh, they document every football related death. I want to say Jerez was the surname of the guy who was shot outside the Estadio Unico. With, a, with either a G or a J, depending on which source you read. But I think it's a G. Let's see. And that would have been about 2013, maybe? Something like that. The 10th of June, 2013. And here it says it was Lanus. That's right, yeah. Estudiantes v. Lanus. Estudiantes Lanus? Yeah. Rings a bell. There we go. So I was, I was thinking uh, two years. In before. In your defence, trying to remember football fans shot by police or other football fans, mm-hmm. fans in inverted commas in both cases. Uh, no, in fact, sorry, F- fans in the first case, not in inverted commas, but in the second, where they're doing the shooting, very much so. Um, can be difficult because yeah, mm-hmm. the stories all blend into one after a while. Anyway, I think that's it. Mm-hmm. this week thank you very much indeed for listening and goodbye from Andres thank you goodbye English Dan goodbye and me thank you and goodbye <laughs>